Let me tell you a little bit about the first time I ever had sex. Um, I was 17. Everyone tells you sex hurts the first time. And you just have to get used to it. And so we (laughs) tried. And I remember feeling like somebody was ripping me open and stabbing my vagina with a knife, a huge kitchen knife that was also on fire. I decided that I wanted to have sex with him. And literally every single time we tried, it was the most painful thing that I'd ever gone through. It felt like I was being ripped open from the inside out. I would all of a sudden feel this like sharp stabbing pain and wasn't really able to process it or stop. And it wasn't until after we were done having sex that I was like, huh, that was really painful. And then I would do it again. And so he would penetrate me up to a certain point. And during it, I would think, is this too painful? This, this has got to be too painful. Should we stop? This is just so, so horrible. But I don't want to have to stop and I don't want to fail. Sex is supposed to hurt. This is the message so many of us grew up hearing. Our whole lives, we learned that penetrative sex is supposed to be painful, at least at first. That's what our friends said. It's what we read in books. It's what we saw in the movies. Take this scene from American Pie, a movie entirely about losing your virginity before college. So, does it hurt? What? You know, sex. Does it hurt? Yeah, I mean, the first time you do it, you know, it hurts. But then you you do it again and again. It just starts to feel good, like really good. In general, our society has decided that vaginal pain during sex is acceptable. It goes in the same file as growing pains, a loose tooth, or sore muscles from a good workout. Overall, we understand and label this kind of pain as common, normal, expected, something you just have to get through. There were so many times where I like shrunk myself or my needs or my pain to accommodate for like someone else's experience and pleasure. I'm sure like there are some people out there that would say like, well, that's your problem for like not feeling like you can speak up. It just feels so much easier in the moment just to shut up and wait for it to be done. It's like, okay, he's going to come at any second. So just like five more seconds and you can do it. I think it's hard to stop because you just want it to be true. You know, you just want to be somebody who can have sex like everyone else. It feels like a huge failure to not be able to. I remember the next day getting ice cream with two very close friends and kind of telling them about this and them saying, like, yeah, that's normal, you know, like, you just have to get used to it. You're probably just really nervous and you'll stretch, you'll get used to it. This is the reason it took me until I was 25 to seek medical treatment for the pain I experienced trying to have penetrative sex. I'd learned from friends and TV shows that this was just a normal part of the process. It was okay to be in pain. But here's the thing our society somehow overlooked or forgot to mention. Pain exists on a spectrum. And while maybe a little mild discomfort during sex is sometimes acceptable, experiencing consistent pain or extreme pain is just not.
This is Tight Lipped, a public conversation about a private type of pain. I'm Noah. And I'm Hannah. On this show, we ask big questions about chronic vaginal and vulvar pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. We talk about painful sex and shame and the politics surrounding these conditions that we often keep secret. In our last episode, we followed Shelby from doctor's office to doctor's office in her search for a diagnosis. We learned why not one of the 12 different medical professionals she saw could accurately diagnose her with vaginismus, despite how common it is. When someone is suffering from a rare disease, we expect that that person will need to seek multiple opinions and search high and low for a doctor who can diagnose their unusual disorder. But in the U.S., up to one in four people with vaginas will have chronic pain with intercourse at some point in their lives. That's about 40 million people. So it's not rare at all. It's common. Still, Shelby's doctors attributed her condition to nerves or something emotional. They dismissed her pain as imaginary. On today's episode, we're talking about the nature of pain. How do we learn which kinds of pain to pay attention to? We'll look at how pain is normalized by popular culture and how that normalization is often reinforced by medical professionals. Up to 50% of people who have chronic vaginal pain with sex never talk to a doctor about their symptoms. This could be for a number of reasons. Historic racism in the medical industry leads many people of color to distrust doctors. Lots of people can't afford the costs associated with seeing multiple physicians in search of a diagnosis. And so many people are just trying to get by, working multiple jobs, and don't have the time. All of these factors are compounded by the fact that so many of us are taught to accept our pain as inevitable, unavoidable, and, well, normal. So how are we supposed to know when to prioritize pain, or if something is or isn't supposed to hurt? Barbara Gross is a psychotherapist who treats individuals and couples who struggle with pelvic pain and conditions that cause painful sex. Her message to patients is simple. If it hurts, stop. I mean, I always tell women this, why on earth would you want to do it if it's going to cause pain? It doesn't make sense. Like if someone was poking you in such a way that it was painful, you would pull away from them, and that's a normal reaction to pain. But what if your whole life you were taught that the poking would hurt at first, but eventually, if you endured, it would feel really good. And what if you were taught that the poking played an important and central role in your most intimate relationships, in your identity and your sexuality? Many of the romantic comedies and TV shows we watched growing up inevitably included an awkward losing your virginity scene. I saw this in the OC, Gilmore Girls, Clueless, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, and Juno. And more recently, I saw it in Jane the Virgin, How I Met Your Mother, and Chewing Gum, a British comedy on Netflix where the character's entire goal is to lose her virginity. As I learned about sexuality and sex, somewhere along the way, I internalized the belief that penetrative sex was supposed to hurt, but that eventually it would stop. Then again, how long is eventually? After a couple of weeks? Months? Years? Barbara Gross has seen this in many of her patients who have a kind of broken optimism. 
Despite experiencing so much pain, they say to themselves, well, maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe tonight it won't hurt. Part of you, I think, just thinks, I'm just going to endure, you know, and I always say, please don't. Please don't do that. Like, let us figure this out. Let us slow it down and figure out what's going on so that you can be pain-free. So many people we've talked to for the show told us that for a long time, they thought pain was just part of sex. One of those people is Maura Sternberg. For Maura, anticipating and accepting pain as normal is the story of her whole life. And how it's operated in my pelvis. (laughs) Maura is 27. She's a teacher and a dancer. And she and I have a lot in common. We both grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. We met as students at Oberlin College, where we were both dancers. Even though we spent hours stretching, rehearsing, and talking about our bodies, I don't remember ever talking about pain. For Mora, her pain began when she was a young girl. She said her first memory of it was at age five, watching Aladdin. And they were doing the scene where they're on the magic carpet, and they, like, float down on the magic carpet and then like land seated. And I was like, that's beautiful and so romantic and I'm a dancer so I can make my body do what anyone else's body does. So I just jumped off the couch as many times as I possibly could. She kept jumping until she finally landed like they did in the movie, which was directly on her tailbone. And I was like, wait, but where is my magic carpet? This hurts so bad. Then, she exacerbated the injury when she slipped and landed hard on some monkey bars, her legs on either side of one of the bars. From then on, I remember always having, like, pelvis pain. I remember sitting in school and being in pain, like, second grade. Being in pain became normal for Mora. I started training as a competitive Irish dancer, and so... Having hip pain and knee pain and back pain, that was all just like a part of my identity as a dancer, like part of the story of me making art. Mora would take Advil and push through the pain, just like the other dancers. But there were limits. When Mora was 17, she wanted to have penetrative sex. So her mom suggested that first, she should try putting in a tampon. Much like Shelby from the last episode, Mora had never been able to use tampons. And up until this point, I had kind of thought that, like, everyone who was like, just put a tampon and then we'll go in the pool. But I was like, they're lying. They must be lying. I couldn't fathom it. So Mora tried, but it didn't work. So she tried harder. Finally, she forced the tampon inside of herself and immediately felt really dizzy like she was going to pass out. She stumbled into her bedroom and sat with her head between her knees until the room stopped spinning. That's when Mora's mom took her to see a gynecologist who tried to do an exam with a speculum. We'll try a smaller one. Okay, a smaller speculum and no, maybe just a finger all the way down to a Q-tip. And I remember like, like choking back my tears and screams in pain. The gynecologist told Mora that she had a semi-imperforate hymen. That's when the thin tissue of the hymen partially covers the vaginal opening, making any kind of penetration difficult and painful. The doctor suggested that Mora get a hymenectomy, 
a minor procedure where the doctor opens or stretches the hymen. So she did. And after she healed from the surgery, she felt ready. And I was like, great, now is the time. Let's have sex, boyfriend. And he was like, let's do it. And it didn't go very well. I was like, this hurts so bad. I could like kind of do it, but kind of not. Mora moved away for college. She and her boyfriend stayed together long distance. We'd like, you know, come be together for a weekend and fuck, 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 and then go away for a month and then do it again. So I kept having painful sex that maybe got slightly less painful, but not by a large margin. It went on like this for years, all through college. So by the end of college, I'm just like, yeah, perfect. I have a tailbone that is perpetually a little bit injured, which means that I can't do certain yoga positions. And it takes me a while to be able to enjoy penetration. Mora had a justification for her pain, her injured tailbone. She was able to minimize and accept it. It wasn't that big of a deal. She could handle it. But what does that even mean? Acceptable pain? If we're taught that painful sex is normal and to be expected, how are you supposed to know when pain or extreme discomfort is not okay? And when does the pain cross the line to something that requires medical care? And that itself is a really social question. Professor Joanna Kempner is a sociologist at Rutgers University. She wrote a book called Not Tonight, Migraine and the Politics of Gender and Health. Her research is on migraines, not vaginas. But what she looks at is how and who decides what pain is serious and what pain is not. She found it's actually societal or cultural norms that determine what pain we think is okay and what pain is not, no matter how extreme the pain actually is. You know, I have this funny little comic in my office that's somebody Googling, am I tired or am I dying? Is what we're feeling normal or is it something that we actually have to go see a doctor about? So whether or not we decide to see a doctor isn't just about the amount of pain we experience. It's influenced by our social circles, our community, our upbringing, and our internalized beliefs about pain. And whether or not we go and find expert help is something that would change over time and across cultures. And then what happens when we go see a doctor? What kind of expert do we go see? is really social. And what does that expert, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, or a shaman, how do they treat you? Professor Kempner experienced this personally. For her, pain was just a normal part of life growing up. I'm actually a person that has pain all over my body. And I come from a family where almost everybody is in pain all the time. It's really kind of a quite normal thing to come home and say, hey mom, how are you? And she goes, ugh. This hurts, that hurts, my head hurts. When she was little, she would get really bad headaches. Eventually, they got so bad, her mom took her to see a doctor. He tells her, well, there's nothing you can do. She just has a type A personality. You know, type A personality kids get migraine. She was a five-year-old. I was shocked when I heard this, that a doctor would categorize a young child as too type A, and then attribute her chronic pain to her personality. Professor Kempner lived with chronic migraines for decades before she learned her pain is actually a real condition. About 20 years ago, she was at home doing laundry and listening to a call-in radio show. 
there was a well-known headache specialist on the program. He said, we used to believe that migraine was a disorder of neurotic women whose blood vessels dilated and they couldn't face up to life. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds familiar. I've been called a neurotic woman before. But then he explained that this is no longer the scientific understanding of migraine. He started to say, We now know that migraine is a disorder of the brain. And I was like, wow, really? We know that? I'd never heard a doctor say that what I was experiencing was a real disease, like something that was wrong with my brain. It was really thrilling to hear that I had a brain disease. But actually, that's pretty messed up. She'd spent her entire life dealing with doctors who said she was crazy, even neurotic. Naturally, she internalized this message. Like Mora, she'd minimized her pain and learned to put up with it. When society, popular culture, and especially medical professionals normalize your pain, it makes sense you don't seek treatment. And most people with migraine don't. Fewer than half of people with episodic migraine ever even go seek help from their doctor. Of those who do, only about half get the right diagnosis. And fewer than that who are getting the correct diagnosis are getting recommended treatment. We see the same thing happening with chronic vaginal and vulvar pain conditions. According to a study published in 2014, only about 50% of women who suffer from vaginal and vulvar pain seek treatment. Half don't. Women in the study described either a chronic burning or knife-like pain, but still, they didn't ask for medical advice. And for the people with vaginal pain who do seek treatment, if they don't find answers, many continue to grit their teeth and try to push through the pain, just like Mora. One day, Mora was in a yoga class. She tried to do what's called a V-sit, where you balance on your tailbone. And I send my coccyx out into, like, oblivion. Like, hurts to drive, hurts to sit in class. Hurts all the time, basically. Mora's chiropractor said she needed to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. But Mora was terrified of what's called internal work. That's when a physical therapist uses their fingers to massage inside the vaginal walls. So for years, Mora wouldn't go to physical therapy, even after multiple bad flare-ups. But eventually, when she was 26, she realized she wanted to get pregnant and give birth. So she got up the courage to go to physical therapy. Her physical therapist asked really probing questions and wanted to know about how the pain impacted Mora. And she started asking about how I pooped and how I fucked and like all of that stuff because she doesn't see our systems as isolated. And that really drove that point home. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course, the fact that I use a squatty potty matters when I want to put something in my vagina. And it also matters when I want to sit for long periods of time. Then she asked Mora about penetrative sex. And I'm like, yeah, great, like pretty par for the course. And I'm, I maybe said something like flippant, like, well, but you know, it does hurt a little bit at the beginning every time. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's just what, that's just like sex, you know. At first it just like hurts. And then like, usually it, it doesn't hurt eventually. She was like, oh, <laughs> she was nice, but 
she was like very, very gentle and kind about it, but the vibe was like, oh no, Maura, <laughs> that's not what, that's not what this is. It wasn't until this moment that Mora even considered the possibility that she shouldn't be experiencing this level of pain during penetrative sex. She realized that all this time, she'd been forcing herself to push through the pain, telling herself it was fine. But why had no one told her it wasn't? It's not just popular culture that taught Mora that pain with sex is not a big deal. This idea had been reinforced by her doctors. She remembered this one time when she was 18 years old. She'd been having penetrative sex with her boyfriend for some time, and it still hurt. So she decided to go see a gynecologist. So I go to the gyne, and I'm like, okay, you know, like, I love my guy. Like, we have a lot of fun, but, like, this is not working. And she's like, okay, well, I bet you're probably pretty nervous, This sounds a lot like you're probably anxious about it. She says, if I were you, I'd just make sure you got a glass of wine or two in you before you try again. You probably remember that's the same advice that Shelby, from our last episode, got from her doctor. Go home, drink a glass of wine, try to relax. This didn't sound right to Mora. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I don't think you're legally allowed to say that. And also, like, I don't drink. Mora didn't feel like she was anxious. She was enjoying sex. That is, for the most part. Our conversation left off with her being like, well, I mean, I could prescribe you an anti-anxiety if you need. And I was like, here's the thing, though. I orgasm every time. Like, I'm not that nervous. I'm, like, excited. This is not anxiety. It's not anxiety. So after being told by a medical professional that this was nothing to worry about, it's not that surprising that Mora minimized her pain. Dr. Batsheva Marcus, who's the clinical director at May's Women's Sexual Health, says she hears this type of thing all the time. So I think women go finally kind of get up their courage to talk to either their primary care doctor or their OBGYN. And if they get cold water thrown on them, like it's, there's nothing wrong with you, then they, I think often women go back and kind of curl up in a ball and just say, okay, I'm crazy. But it is very disheartening to be told you're crazy. This happened with another patient Marcus talked to, who went to see a therapist. The therapist says something like, maybe that's your way of the vagina telling you that you're not ready to have sex. And I, at one point, I turned to a patient and I said, well, maybe it was your vagina's way of saying to you, you need to find a new therapist. We look up to doctors. We respect them. So if a doctor tells you your pain isn't anything out of the ordinary, you believe it. Mora's one of many, many people with chronic vaginal or pelvic pain and painless sex to have this experience. And I remember the first time I brought it up with a doctor was... In 2017, with my OBGYN, she basically was like, I just did a pap smear on you and everything looked fine. There's no problem. And, you know, this was a really, like, well-renowned doctor, very, like, high up in, like, Washington, D.C. society. And so I didn't really know what to do about it, so I just kind of, like, accepted it. And I went to my gynecologist and I told her... And she said to me, are you sure that you're not just petite and your boyfriend well-endowed? 
And they're like, try lube. And I'm like, great. So like, what else can you tell me? Obviously I have tried this. I'm trying to tell you that something hurts. You're like, it's not my job as a doctor to care about whether or not you're enjoying sex. If we grow up expecting to feel pain during sex, if we're taught to tolerate and accept this as inevitable, how are we supposed to think any differently? To contradict the medical professionals whose job it is to tell us what's going on in our bodies. But Mora's physical therapist taught her to take her pain seriously and to treat it. I'm starting to actually experience what painless penetration feels like. I think it happened maybe for the first time in my entire life, maybe three months ago. And you betcha, I did cry a lot. I was like, oh my God, babe, like if this is what this is, then what was all of that other stuff? Mora regularly sees a pelvic floor physical therapist, a chiropractor, and an acupuncturist. Her experiences in the doctor's office led her to be skeptical and have a hard time trusting Western medicine. To the extent that she can, Mora seeks care elsewhere. She looks to herbal intuitive medicine, which draws on spiritual and healing practices from her Celtic ancestry. But at the same time, she has found a primary care doctor who works for her. I took a long time to find a doctor who does like integrative stuff. So she's like, yep, like good luck with the period cramp thing that you're trying to figure out. Also, I think you should try eating more cruciferous vegetables before you bleed. Mora's now in the process of learning more about her body and what kinds of pain she shouldn't have to accept as part of her daily life. Unfortunately, many people with vaginas feel like they just have to put up with it and keep having painful sex. I used to be one of them. I convinced myself that it would just go away. Like many others, somehow, somewhere, I learned that vaginal pain doesn't matter. It isn't worth looking into. It really is not a big deal. But what if we were told a different story? That our pain does matter. That we deserve attention and care. Like psychotherapist Barbara Gross says, There's something serious going on and it needs to be treated. What if all healthcare professionals reinforce this idea that vaginal pain isn't something you should have to put up with? Sometimes I think about what my trajectory would have been like if I had been taught to take my pain seriously. What would have happened if the first gynecologist I went to said, let's look into this instead of telling me nothing was wrong, and later telling me to take sedatives and relax. What would have been different if I had known that over 40 million women in the U.S. struggle with vaginal pain, and if the communities and larger society that I grew up in had made clear to me that just because this pain is common doesn't mean we can write it off and treat it as just a part of daily life. Maybe then I would have gotten help sooner, and the years of struggling with pain and shame would already be behind me.
order for people with vaginal pain to be believed, diagnosed, and treated, it's not just a matter of changing the story and taking women's pain seriously. We also need more research. We need better medical training. We need all sorts of resources. But this is a vital first step. Our next episode will be the last in our exploration of being believed, how vaginal and pelvic pain are interpreted by doctors and broader society. After that, we'll move on to talk about other aspects of healthcare and these conditions. We'll hear from author Lara Parker. There was like a distinct moment that I remember just like laying on my dorm twin bed, bawling my eyes out and saying to myself like, am I really that fucked up in the head that I am imagining all of this pain and like everything that's gone wrong? I really thought that I was losing it. Like it got to the point where, and I still to this day am like this, where I don't trust my own thoughts and feelings. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll rate and review us on iTunes. We also know many of you have countless stories of your own, and that's why we're putting together a zine. It'll be a written compilation of stories and resources about chronic vulvar pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. Submit a personal essay, poem, illustration, comic, or other form of writing or art to tightlippedzine at gmail.com. And for more info, check out our website, tightlippedpod.squarespace.com. This episode was produced by me, Hannah Barg, with Noah Fleischacker. The editor is Ariana Skybell. Our episode art this season is designed by Arielle Stein. We also received editorial support from Judah Kaufman, Laura Garbs, Shannon Berner, and Yochai Metal. Thank you to Louise Fix, Lara Parker, Zoe Goldstein, Sarah Minion, Caitlin Ruin, Jossie Sobrai, Daniela Tolchinski, Melissa Guller, and Sella Weissbloom. We're also incredibly appreciative of the professionals who gave their time and expertise to this episode. Thank you to Gabby Escobar for our logo and Marty Kizan for our website. Most of the music you hear is from Blue Dot Sessions. This season is supported by the DeRote Fellowship Alumni Leadership Award, which has enabled us to continue to do this important project. Thank you so much, and we'll be back soon.